Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Glad to hear it. My name is Drew Phillips. I am um, one of the pastors here on staff at Calvary. If you are in week three of your six-week challenge, so if you were here on Easter and we challenged you to make it a priority to be here the next six weeks, uh, we're glad that you're here. I uh, wanted to explain a little something. The way that we teach around here is we teach in sermon series. And what that means is that we'll have a series of teachings each week and they build upon each other. And so we would encourage you to continue to come back as these sermons build. And right now we're in the, in the process, in the middle of a six-week sermon series on prayer, taking a look at the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that we're doing in the midst of that is trying to encourage all of us as a congregation to be praying together. And to take a little bit of a closer look on what our prayer life looks like and how we engage with it. And so one of the things that we've done this month is this thing called Pray for 30. How many people have participated in the Prayer for 30? Seen that on social media and around. So you can go to our website or we have hard copies of it in our next step space. But what it is, is that we post a prayer for you to pray every day for 30 days. And pay attention to what those prayers are and make that a rhythm of your day. And the way it lines up is whatever day of the week it is, that's the day, that's the number that you pray. So today was prayer number five because we are at May 5th. Pretty simple. And then one of the other things we've done is encouraged everyone to pray on the eights, which this means when it's 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. to pause whatever you're doing, stop and pray whether it's for your family, whether it's for our church, whether it's for our community, but to stop and pray. And hopefully as we do that, we will have everyone who calls Calvary home stopping and praying together at the same time. So I hope that's something you've been able to engage in. If not, we're only a week in, we're only five days in, so hop on board. We've got 30 more, 25 more to go, and we'd love for you to be a part of that and let, allow God to start to transform your prayer life. Last week, Daniel kicked it off. We talked about Matthew 6, 9, which talked about God being holy. Hallowed be your name. And what we talked about that week was if we are going to understand prayer, if our prayer life is going to develop, if we are going to grow in prayer, we first need to stop and pause and recognize that God is holy. Recognize his character, who he is, and if we start there and we posture ourselves correctly there, then we can move on to the next thing. And the beautiful piece of this prayer is this, that it builds upon itself. It builds upon itself. So we're going to see today as we continue on how it continues to build upon itself a little bit. So one thing also to pay attention to is this. We talked about this. There's a lot of times that how many of you guys have memorized the Lord's Prayer in one shape, shape or form? Right? Most people, if we did it, we could rattle that off. And that is a good prayer to pray. It is structured in a way that it can be your prayer. But also, our hope is that it will also give us a structure or a framework of how to structure our prayers throughout the rest of the week. So if we're not just praying that, how do we just start with prayer? And it works as a framework as well. So today, we are going to continue on in verse 10. So Matthew chapter 6 Verse 10 says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we jump into the weeds of everything and the application, I want to start and pay attention to two words, the word kingdom 
and the word will. So what these ideas of what's a kingdom and what's our, our will. So when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, what do those words mean? Kingdom is one of these words that we don't use very often today. We don't use the word kingdom a lot. To me, when I thought about it, it sounded more like something in history or something even in a make-believe story, that there's a king with a kingdom. It's not something that's in my common vernacular outside of talking about Scripture and God's kingdom. But it's something that we see a lot in Scripture. We see all through the Gospels, Jesus using this word, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which mean the same thing. And we need to pay attention to that, especially because if you look at Jesus's ministry in Matthew 4, 7, 17, before he starts everything off, his first announcement, the first thing that he declares is this. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, which means turn from your ways, transform your life, go the other direction because the kingdom of God is near. So if this is the first thing Jesus is going to announce or declare as he's starting his earthly ministry, it's something that we should probably understand and pay attention to. If you've noticed when I've been up here in the past, one of the people that I quote often is an author and a professor who since went to be with the Lord, Dallas Willard. He's one of my favorites. I read most of his work, and I love how he describes this idea of kingdoms and what is a kingdom. He says this, a kingdom is the reign of someone's effective will. So in layman's terms, because again, I usually have to read Willard about three times and then bring it down to what I can actually understand. But it means this, it's a place where something that you want done is done. So for God, God's kingdom is the places where the things that God wants done is accomplished. And vice versa, our kingdoms, which we, we need to recognize that we have king, kingdoms as well. God has entrusted us with a kingdom, each one of us. And in that place is where the things that we want done are done. So this can look different for a lot of different people. Maybe right now you're a middle schooler or a high schooler and you're sitting in here and the, your kingdom, all it is, is your bedroom, right? And in your bedroom, you can, de, you can decide what gets hung on the wall, if you make your bed or not, if your clothes are picked up, whatever your bedroom looks like, that is your kingdom and it is in that place that you can decide what happens in that space, I'm sure a lot of parents are looking at me shaking your head like, no, that is not how that works. This is still my house, and you need to pick up your clothes. Maybe you have a bicycle, and this bicycle was the first thing that you had that you could dictate what happened to this bicycle. This was part of your kingdom. You decided what color it was going to be. You decided if it was going to have spokes or not. You decided if it was going to have, um, you're going to put the card in there, the little baseball card to make the noise, or you wanted to hang a basket on the front of it. This was your bicycle, and you had the power and the ability to make this bicycle look and do whatever you wanted it to do. And then you graduate up. And the way it is with life is usually our kingdoms continue to expand. So maybe you had a bicycle that has now turned into a car. And you can decide if there's an air freshener in the car. And if there is an air freshener, what kind of air freshener are you going to put in the car? Are you going to hang something from the rearview mirror? Or if, like in my household growing up, I tried doing that. And my dad said, you can't see. It's going to obstruct your vision. Take that down. But to me, I felt like this was my space. I could decide what decals went on the car. I could decide whatever this was. This was my part of the kingdom. 
Maybe you find yourself in college or in an apartment. Now you, your kingdom has expanded a little bit more and you have more space to say and do what you want. That is, that is your kingdom that God has entrusted you with. And usually as we grow and mature, our kingdoms expand. So maybe today you're sitting here and you have a family or a house or maybe you're a business owner and your kingdom that you have, there are people who report to you that what you say and what you want done is done in that area. And my encouragement, what we're going to look at today is how do we get to the point where we say, not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. How do we get to that place where we want what God wants to be done in the areas that he has entrusted to us? And you say, Drew, how do we get to that place? How do we get to the place where the things that are kingdom, the things that God has entrusted to us, how do we get to the place where we want and can honestly from a pure heart say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because by saying that, we are saying that in the heavens around us, the things that God wants done is done. And now we have an opportunity for the way things are in the heavens to come down here on earth. How do we get there? I'm glad you asked. I do think it, it starts with this idea that Daniel talked about last week. That first, it, it starts with the recognition of who God is. It starts with the recognition of who God is and who we are and the posture that we come before God saying, God, I understand that you are holy and I am thankful that you just want to be in my presence, that you desire to commune with me, that you desire to communicate with me, and I recognize you as holy. Our posture is so important. In any situation, if we're not paying attention to the posture that we have, that we bring to the situation, then we're starting off with the wrong foot. On the wrong foot, not with the wrong foot. We're starting off on the wrong foot if you don't pay attention to your posture. So first, start recognizing God is holy. Second, comes with surrender. And surrendering our will and our kingdom to God's kingdom. Now there's that word, there's that word surrender that we don't like to hear. We don't like, we want things to be done the way we want to be done them, how we want them to be done, when we want them to be done. Does that sound familiar? That's your kingdom. And usually in our kingdom, the things that we want done, we want done how we want them, when we want them, to what degree that we want them. And it's important for us to recognize that if we are going to take steps if we are going to get to the point where we can posture ourselves and surrender our kingdoms, if we can say, God, your will be done and my, not, not my will be done, it starts with surrender. We need to remember something very important about God. God is not going to enforce or force himself upon you. God is not going to force his kingdom on your kingdom, but he will welcome an invitation. He's not a God that's going to force himself on you, but is going to welcome an invitation saying, yes, God, when we pray this prayer, we are inviting your kingdom into our kingdom, into our world, and saying your will be done, what your effective will is. We want that here, not our will. There is a famous 19th century evangelist and preacher. His name is, was William Booth. William Booth, um, throughout his life, had a pretty dramatic conversion story. 
And during his time on earth, he primarily served two churches at first. He started with one church. He got married. Him and his wife went to another congregation in England. And just after some time realized that being a pastor of a congregation was not his calling. But he liked the role of evangelist more. He liked going out and preaching and not being confined by the walls of the church building. He wanted the freedom to do that. So William Booth was known that he would be preaching these great evangelical revivals and everything in England amongst the least of these. He would go to the poorest pockets of England and he would be there preaching, serving alongside, loving the poor, the people that other people didn't want to be around. And one of the quotes from William Booth that I think is so important for us to remember, to recognize, and to pay attention to is this. It's here on screen. It says, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. William Booth got to see this firsthand. He got to sit and be a part of congregations that had a lot of wealth, affluence, and influence. And he also got to be amongst England's poor who didn't have a whole lot, who didn't have much to surrender. But one thing he realized was, well, sorry, two things he realized was this. He realized that when you have a lot to surrender, when you have a lot in your kingdom, when your kingdom is vast, sometimes surrender is really, really difficult because you have more to give up. That was why his heart so much was for the least of these because they didn't have as much to surrender and were so much more willing to surrender it because they didn't have as much. But he noticed that when those people who had much which I would dare to say most of us in this room have much. When they were willing to surrender that, the power, the influence, the effect they could have on the community around them was so much more because of their willing to surrender what God had entrusted to them. William Booth was also the founder of the Salvation Army, which is probably what he's most known for. And so what he was able to do was able to take the influence and the affluence of those who had much and give those to people who didn't have as much. And he was able to see how when we sacrifice and we surrender what we want done for the betterment of God's kingdom, the effect that we can have on the world around us. And he got to see that firsthand. And his work in that continues on today as the Salvation Army continues worldwide to serve the least of these by way of those who have much surrendering it and being willing to share with others. As I was reading about William Booth, his story reminded me so much of Jesus. And Jesus was often with people in the lower class, other, around people who others didn't want to be around. And more than likely, as he's teaching his disciples and others to pray in this passage, more than likely, he is talking to the least of these at that time. He's talking to those who are downtrodden. He is talking to those that are humble in spirit. This passage that we find today is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' greatest teaching. And if you look at it right in the center of his greatest teaching is this understanding and teaching us how to pray. 
And so as he's teaching these people, they are understanding, and he is with those who are the least of these, that he is saying, it is good for you to surrender your will to God's will. I also think it's important to note this, that Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, we find Jesus in the garden, and he's praying a prayer. His friends, his closest friends have fallen asleep as he's anguishing over what's going to happen, what's coming. He knows the physical pain that he's going to go through. He knows the physical distress that his body is going to be put on. But more than that, he knows and he recognizes that in a few short hours, the relationship that I've always had with my father, this perfect communion that I've always had with my father is going to be broken. That there's going to come a time when our sin and our shame gets put on his shoulders and for the first time, God is going to turn his back on his son because he can't stand the presence of sin and that relationship is going to be broken and Jesus is heartbroken over that, knowing that that reality is coming. And this is what he says. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. We see here Jesus is surrendering his will to his Father's will for our benefit. Jesus knows that by giving up his will, he is making it possible for us to ultimately surrender our kingdom to have God's kingdom come down here on earth. This is so cool. Think about this. Jesus' Jesus's surrender, his surrendering makes possible our surrender. Did you catch that? Jesus' surrender, the fact that he was willing to give up his kingdom, the thing that God had entrusted to him, he was willing to give his will up for God's will and go to the cross, take our shame, defeat death, reconcile us with God so that now we can be in God's presence, make it possible for the Holy Spirit to come down to live in our lives. His surrender ultimately allows us to sit in the place now where we can say, God, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. And that's all made possible because of Jesus' original surrendering of his will. So he's not asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. And even by him being willing to do it makes it possible for us to do that today. He makes it possible for us to pray, to approach the, th the throne of God with confidence because Jesus ultimately went ahead of us and made that sacrifice on our behalf. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope as followers of Jesus is that we would grow closer to God, that we would understand what it means to pray, what it means to talk, what it means to listen to God. And for God's kingdom and our kingdoms to become one in the same. This is one of the secrets of the kingdom of God that I think is so important for us to pay attention to. That as we grow and as we mature, as we've been following Jesus, whether it's been for a couple weeks, whether it's been for several years, 
that we would slowly start to surrender and submit our kingdom and our decisions to what God wants. And as we slowly start to take steps towards that, as we take steps towards God, submitting our kingdom, surrendering that, that our desires start to transform a little bit. That our desires and our wants start to become the desires and the wants of what God has for us. That the things that we want most in our lives, the thing that we go to prayer to God with, are the exact things that God wants to give us. And that takes time. I was talking in middle school last week about this idea that God is holy and what prayer looks like. And I can remember as a kid, um, I told him a story about when I um, was, I've always been a big Indiana Pacers fan. And during this time, I can remember, I think it was the 1994 draft. And I don't remember who I wanted the Pacers to draft, but I remember saying, God, if you allow the Pacers to draft this player, I promise that I will do X, Y, and Z, right? How many people have prayed that prayer before, right? You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. Well, all I can remember is the Pacers did not pick that player. They picked Travis Best, who was an okay player for the Pacers for a little bit, but was not the player that I wanted. I can remember being so let down because I had prayed, God, this is, this is my desire. I want the Indiana Pacers to select this player. It's going to turn our franchise around. This is going to be the best fit. But the reality was, as a 10, 11-year-old kid at that time, my desires and wants did not match what God wanted to give me. And in this particular moment, the result of that was that my desires and my wants were not accomplished. But as I've grown and matured, and I hope as we all grow and mature, and we start to walk with God a little bit, the things that we desire, the things that we want the things that we want to do with our kingdom start to transform a little bit. And they start to transform more and more to what God wants. And then our prayers start to become more and more effective because the things that we're praying for align with the heart of God. And when we align our hearts with the hearts of God, the power of prayer that we have in this place is effective. But that only comes with a proper posture and with surrender. And as we've said, this prayer builds on itself. And Daniel's going to talk more this week and without taking a whole bunch of fire away from him. It's when we realize that we have a proper posture, we recognize who God is, and we surrender our will to his, does it make it even possible for us to pray, give us today our daily bread. And our daily bread is enough for us to be content with. Our daily bread is all we desire because we have postured ourselves and we surrendered our kingdom. Daniel will talk more about this, that next week. So the question I have for you today is this. What areas of your life do you need to surrender? Maybe for you, you've never thought of this idea of your kingdom, that you even understood that you had a kingdom, that there was an area of your life that God has entrusted you with that's put you in control over, and you need to pay attention to that and say, what areas am I not willing to give up and surrender to God? What areas of my kingdom, because of out of fear or out of control, I want to do the way that I want to do them? And God, you can either get on board or not, but I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it because I want to control things. Can I get an amen? There are areas in all of our life 
that are difficult for us to surrender. And that's okay. God is patient. But I can promise you this, whatever sacrifice that you're going to have to make to surrender that, the peace that God is going to bring over and through your life because of that surrender is completely worth it. It is completely worth it. But we've got to be able to be in the position where we say, God, your kingdom come and your will be done and not mine. So our Monday morning application is this. My hope this week is that you will spend time with God and ask him honestly to reveal those areas in your life that you need to surrender to him. To help him point a spotlight on those areas that God, I'm holding tight onto this and have him gently whisper to your heart, just let me have it. Just let me have it. And then pray this prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. And my encouragement to you is this. If you get to that place where you pray the first part and you recognize God as holy and you're able to do that, and then you get to this part where you say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you can't honestly get to the place where you are ready to surrender that, just stop there and spend some time. So many times we want to rush through things. We want to rush the process. And in the midst of that, we miss the chance of opportunity to grow and transform. Because we want to get it done as quick as possible instead of waiting in the tension. Waiting in the honesty that, you know what, there's areas that, Lord, I'm honest, I'm not ready to surrender this. So I'm going to say this prayer, but there's an honestly, there's a part of me that's holding this back a little bit. Continue to pray over and over again. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to pause right now. We're going to put this into practice, Father. We want to stop and recognize you as holy. We want to pause right now and recognize that you are a holy God who loves us so very much, who desires to be in relationship with us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity to approach the throne of grace with confidence because of Christ's work on the cross and the role of the Holy Spirit in our life, Lord. So we pause right now and just recognize that you are holy. And Father, I pray right now that as we enter this time of worship, that even now that you would start to put a, point a spotlight on those areas in our life where we are not willing to surrender our kingdom to your kingdom. Father, we thank you that you've entrusted us with so many things. Whether it's a bicycle, Lord, or whether it's a company, we thank you for what you've entrusted us with, and we want to be good stewards of those things. And we know that that begins with surrendering our will to your will. And so I pray that over all of us, Lord, that we would surrender those things to you. And Father, my prayer is this week, as we pray on the eights, 
as we pray together the same words of the prayer for 30, Lord, that you would meet us there, that you would start to transform our lives, that you would start to transform our families, start to transform our neighborhoods and our community, Lord, and we understand that that starts with the transformation work in our own life. So help us, Lord, to pay attention to those things. And as always, Lord, we thank you so much for your grace, for your love, and for your patience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.